Hi, I'm Ray from Insert Quest here. My pronouns are they sh and she. Today, I'm chatting to Spencer Campbell, a game maker from the US. His mind behind games like Light, the Lumen Engine, Slayers, and the upcoming Nova. It's a pleasure to have you, Spencer. Would you mind introducing yourself a little bit further for our audience? Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm Spencer Campbell. I use he, him pronouns. Uh, I'm a game designer out of the Chicago area uh, in the United States. I've been designing role-playing games for about three years now, I want to say. Uh, and my day job is as a psychologist. So I'm a psychologist by day, game designer by night. Mm, interesting. <laughs> Very interesting. Ah, uh, I actually, I can't remember what it was about your Twitter feed, because obviously I have been uh, following so for a while um, in the lead up to the interview. Uh, I thought you were a teacher for some reason. Oh, I am. I'm a, I'm a, a professor of psychology. Oh, well, there we go. That explains it. <laughs> That's why I thought you were a teacher. Uh, fantastic. Um, cool. Fantastic. So we'd love to start off with this question, uh, Spencer. How did you first become interested in making games? What was the impetus that made you go, you know what? I'm going to make a game. I think there's like three touchstones or three events I can think of off the top of my head. If you ask my mom, she'll say I've been making games since I was like a kid. Like I've always loved playing games, but always changing the rules to games. So I've apparently, if she is to be believed, and I believe my mom, uh, I've been tinkering with games for forever. Um, but I would say probably it was, I think about six years ago, my best friend who also lives in Chicago with me, uh, we decided we would try and take a stab at designing board games. And so we took a few years where we were trying different prototypes for board games and uh, ultimately nothing ever really manifested from it because it turns out making board games is super, super hard. Um, so we had a lot of fun doing the design process, but we didn't make anything. And around that time, I was also being introduced and started really playing role-playing games. And so it was from that sort of desire to design and make something from the board game space and being introduced to role-playing games that I was like, all right, well, what if I just tried making a role-playing game instead? Uh, and that just like the bug bit me. I became obsessed with it and I've been doing that ever since. Yeah. So when you talk about it being difficult to make board games, I'm going to assume you mean like, it's not that it's hard to design mechanics for board games. It's that it's hard to do everything else for board games because it's like a complicated physical artifact. Yeah. There's, you know, you have to, when you're, just the act of playtesting alone, like coming up with some usable prototype, even if it's just with scraps of paper and random junk around your house, is so much more involved than playtesting a role-playing game where you might not need any materials on hand. Yeah. Uh, plus, you know, just thinking about trying to manufacture boxes and dice and components and, you know, what components do you absolutely need? What components could you get away with not having? Um, it, it's a whole... It was a whole lot more than Mike and I were ready to take on. I've only managed to publish one uh, board game, and it is print, uh, print and play. Um, unless you manage to find me or my partner at a zine fair, in which case you might be lucky enough to get a <laughs> copy that we've already printed. Um, and it's printed on uh, paper and cardstock and is mostly 
just index cards. Like, <laughs> essentially, it's like custom index cards. Um, and that was like, we made that using a bunch of knowledge from making zines and such. But it is, it doesn't really look like other board games. It's definitely still a proper board game. But uh, it's a very, we went into that knowing we were going to be making something using um going for a specific style a specific set of skills based on those limitations but making something like making something that even remotely resembles like Catan uh <laughs> is like impossible for an indie game maker unless you made a, a game that uses other board games as components it it truly was overwhelming and, and my my design partner mike he's a you know he's a graphic designer he's he's an artist he was really good at coming up with prototypes but even still it was just it was exhausting trying to come up with like cheap and efficient ways of making these prototypes and we just said okay i think yeah. we've well, you know, we've tried it. We had our fun. And, and just the act of designing was fun on its own. But, uh, yeah, we decided that was not a route we were going to follow. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And so then you decided, well, I'm going to make a role-playing game because that seems a bit less uh, <laughs> demanding, um, which to a limited degree is definitely true. I definitely agree. Um, what was the first sort of like foray there into making? I think the first sort of stuff I was doing is the same sort of stuff that I encourage a lot of people when they're starting is just making hacks of things. So, or expanding or uh, making like modules or supplements for existing things. So playing apocalypse world and then or just learning about like the powered by the apocalypse engine and coming up with playbooks or settings that would be useful for games in of that system so i I definitely tinkered around with playing with a bunch of that i made a bunch of star wars playbooks because my uh friends who i was living with at the time in chicago uh, are all huge Star Wars fans, and it was the only way that I could convince them to play a role-playing game as if it was Star Wars themed. And I didn't know about the actual Star Wars role-playing games out there, so I was like, "Well, I know about this Powered by the Apocalypse thing. What if I just tried to translate that to Star Wars?" Uh, so that was probably some of the first stuff that I made, and all in that sort of like hack supplement playbook space. Yeah, that's. Uh... I love that sort of stuff. I think the first sort of things that I made were um, were uh, custom uh, fighting style merits for New World of Darkness. Mm. Me and my friends used to play a fuckload. So I made a gun carter <laughs> fighting style that was uh, balanced by the fact that it would be almost impossible for a mortal to learn it because you would just require too much, like life experience to practice <laughs> um uh and then i made uh and then i made some contracts for uh change um and then from there we end up where we are now um so you've had i think uh pretty good success with your game light um it's seems pretty popular i see it mentioned all the time it's an amazing looking game it's conceptually got a lot going on uh, and now you're, uh, it's got like, uh, it's got these multiple season things going on where you're releasing new content, uh, uh, in like season style, uh, packets. And now you're getting ready to launch a new game, uh, coming to Kickstarter soon, Nova, 
Um, is there any connection between the two? So light was my, I made light at the tail end of last year, 2020. And it was one of those fever dream design moments where I just had a game in my head. And in like 48 hours, I got it onto the page. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just so desperately wanted to take the concept of destiny, the video game and translate it to a tabletop space. So uh, I have put a, an unreasonable amount of hours into Destiny, and I was like, I, let me just see if I can make a, a, a satisfying role-playing game out of this. Did that, and then I kind of let that linger for a while. And like you said, I've, I've sort of been building on it. And through that building process, I've learned a little bit more about what I want Light to be. And that then created the Lumen system, um, which is sort of this generic... You know, it's an SRD that I released that is meant to capture the power fantasy of a lot of video games that you see in like looter shooters or hero shooters like Overwatch or, um, you know, kind of any action RPGs like your Diablos. And I just because those are the games that I play. And so that all was going on. And then Nova is a is a Lumen game then. It is me taking the concepts that I had been learning through developing light over this like modular month by month process that I decided to just make uh, an entirely new game out of that system. And that's sort of where Nova emerges from. Yeah, awesome. So one of the coolest things that I have seen about Nova, and it appeals to me directly for many, many reasons that are going to be obvious to people that know me, um, so the sun, right? It explodes in Nova <laughs> and it sends out these shards of sun stuff that stick into, I guess, the rest of the solar system and Earth. And then people are like, oh, let's make something out of it. What are we going to make? And then they're like, oh, let's make some fucking exosuits and shit. <laughs> right? That's the. Yeah, that's the basic premise. Yeah. There, so you know, I, this... <laughs> I fucking love anything that is made out of the sun or made to look like the sun or is the sun but alive. Uh, I'm here for all of that stuff. I wrote an entire poem about it. <laughs> um, so uh, I was very excited when I read that bit and when I saw the uh, the art with of the city with all the, mm. I assume, shards of the sun. Sticking yeah. Uh, so... I'd love to know more about the like the setting for Nova and what what are what are you expecting players to do in Nova and what are mm. what are you what are the kind of like stories you're hoping to help people tell? Yeah, the the setting of Nova was actually something that was developed totally separately years ago, like three years ago, by my friend Mike, who I mentioned earlier that I was doing board game design with, there was um, like every year there's that 200 word RPG contest or submission event that mm-hmm. happens. And they always have a theme. And the theme of 2018, I'm pretty sure it was 2018, was the sun has exploded. Um, and so Mike and I sat down and we spent a, a, a totally unnecessary amount of time thinking about like the lore and implications of a world in which the sun explodes and how do we deal with that. And we made a small game called Dim based off of that. Um, so Nova then is sort of me returning to that setting that Mike and I had developed and expanding on it a bit more. So because um, we had previously written it as sort of this fantastical, magical sort of thing, events that happens, and now it's being... Um, sort of repurposed and thought about in terms of a 
essentially an apocalypse that creates a technological boom because suddenly we can just harness the power of these huge, intense shards of the sun, um, which gives humanity access to technology and energy that we've never really had before. And so we, exactly like you said, we make these really cool uh, exosuits. So the the goal of the game, or the, the sort of the premise of the game for players then is they are these exosuits, they're called sparks, and the sparks are designed to protect the cities uh, uh, that the, the sun shards are built around, but also to go explore into the ruins of old Earth and try and find some of the technology and knowledge and things like that that we had before in hopes that we can eventually rebuild. So the sort of the, the process or gameplay loop of the game is to go out on these missions, exploring ruins, learning about Earth's history and past, uh, finding what we can, salvaging it, and then bringing it back and rebuilding this city that you as players are sort of building together at the table. Nice. I love it. Um, so are there in the game, are there guidelines for what your exosuit things are? Is there like a prescriptive list or is it more uh, like your stuff and make something? It's going to be sort of uh, your your standard class-based style RPG. So each style of spark or exosuit is its own class, and they're all designed for specific purposes. So, you know, there's one spark in particular that is the scouting um, class. It's called the Voyager. The whole purpose of this spark is to go out, scout out areas around the city to find things that we should go eventually go check out and come back and report. So that class will play much more of the sort of supportive scouty role of the party when you're playing together. Then there are other classes that are much more damage focused or support focused. And so um, it's definitely going to land in the space of those of people who are familiar with classes or playbooks. Uh, It's going to fit in that comfortable space. And then each of those sparks then has four powers that are sort of their bread and butter, the things that they're especially good at. And those are the things that are meant to make your spark feel super badass. That's the stuff that you're going to be using when you're out there fighting off whatever dangers are out there uh, beyond the city walls. Nice. What are some of the examples of what those powers might be? So, for example, there is... So the, the Voyager that I mentioned earlier, that class is all focused on sort of painting targets. So they have a system that... I love that shit. <laughs> it's so good. So they they have a bunch of... Um, they're sort of constantly marking targets around the battlefield that the their allies can also use. As You know, you just see these big glowing targets. Now you can kind of zoom in and just destroy them. But it also, they have powers then that can interact with those marked targets. So, for example, they can deploy a holographic decoy that any marked targets or painted targets have to sh- will shoot that decoy instead of any of your allies. Or you can shoot these sort of homing rockets that hit everybody that's marked. So um, that's, that's an example of sort of one of the, the classes in the game. When I was designing my as yet unpublished uh, mech game, um, Live, Love, Die, one of the modules that I made for the mechs is linked targeting, which is Mm. anyone in your team can shoot at uh, any target you are focused on. Uh, And so uh, by... So you can, you know, they can be on the other side of the fucking map with a bunch of shit in the way. <laughs> and it's like, I can see this dude, he's charging at me. I, I'm pinned under this other dude. I need you to shoot them, please. 
or you could be or you could be a sniper up on top of a mountain or something and you're like picking out targets for your uh, teammates or you're shooting at people that are attacking your teammates um uh yeah i love uh, i love cool targeting effects um yeah that was one of the first ones i developed just because i loved that idea of you know trying to come up with a because most of these these sparks are going to be heavily damage focus they're especially good at combat but this is actually one of the few sparks that doesn't dish out too much damage on its own but has the potential to just lock down or really boost up the other sparks in the team in like tremendously powerful ways um what are some of the antagonists in the game because obviously it sounds like the game is kind of focused on fighting to a degree um yeah, so, um, the, there's definitely yeah. a combat focus in the game. So yeah, which is cool. I like combat focus. I like non-combat focus things too. But I yeah, it feels like it's a combat focus game. So, what are some of the enemies, or what are you imagine the antagonists uh, so, in the game? Yes. So some of the antagonists that you might expect are, you know, you'll expect maybe your standard fare of antagonists. So you're going to get your sort of rogue humans that live outside of cities that are causing trouble. Um, the the solar event that this nova that caused everything is going to cause some uh, rapid evolution and uh, changing of Earth's flora and fauna. So you're going to see some like warped or alternative versions of animals that we see, or even some like mega flora and mega fauna. Um, there's going to be strange cults and things like that that worship the now like sun pockmarked moon that hangs in the sky. Um, the, the big thing is that the further you get away from the cities, the, the deeper you get into this area called the dusk, the stranger and more unexpected the foes are going to be. Those missions are also much more dangerous. They could be very lucrative in terms of what you can find, but, uh, you are going to start dealing with things that start to break your expectations of what should still be on this earth. Uh, and so that's I I, without, I don't want to give too much of it away just in case there are folks who want to like be surprised by it. But just know that that's sort of the the premise is that, yeah, the stuff near town, of course, are going to be like the beasts and baddies that are harassing the town. You get further away and it's going to start getting a little strange. Excited. Always excited for strange. Um, <laughs> strange occurrences and whatnot. Um, a question that kind of came to mind while you were describing all that is... I don't know. There's something about the way you were describing it that kind of implies to me a prescriptive structure or maybe some kind of like guiding mechanic for like what spaces you might find or what things you might find beyond. Am I right in what I'm intuiting there or? Yeah, absolutely. So part of the game is it, it follows sort of a very mission focused gameplay loop. So you are presented some missions while you are in the city uh, based off of what it is like either um, threatening the city at the time or addressing needs of the city. Um, so they'll sort of present you some with some mission options. Uh, the sparks will choose what they want to go do. They'll go out and um, go out into the world and there will be plenty of like generators and resources for the GM to come up with these ruins. Cause typically that's the sort of um, space that you will end up in, but these ruins are all going to be very different it's not like just going into the same old busted ass city again and again um mm -hmm. but there will be these sort of ruin generators for the gms to use to sort of uh, create these spaces that the, the sparks will need to explore they come back and then there's sort of this 
shortened downtime period where uh, the city gets to either improve or gets worse if the mission has failed. Uh, and that then sort of gives you a clue or dictates as to what the next set of missions might be for the Sparks. Yeah, wow. Cool. I'm into it. Um, what a, what kind of stuff are they bringing back? You mentioned that it was like technology and knowledge. Um, can you give any more clues as to... Yeah. So it's, it's, you know, it's vaguely these ideas of tech and knowledge, which is sort of then linked to how the sparks themselves advance in the game, how they get more powerful. Um, but there will also be instances like one thing that I think is interesting that I want to, um, that I think is cool is that, you know, this, the moon also got hit by the sun, which means like huge chunks of the moon slammed into the earth. Um, and that also started to fuck things up a little bit. Uh, and so bringing in these like moon shards, these lunar shards to the city can be one of these things that can be like a great boon to the city if they can uh, like use this and, and strap it into their technology. Um, but doing so also attracts some of the especially strange baddies in the world. So it's sort of this decision space for the players. Like, do we want to take this tech because it's going to make us more powerful, but also threaten the city? Or should we just destroy it out here and thus sort of dispersing the threat while it's out in the dusk? Yeah, that's an interesting um, escalation there uh, for your yeah. Yeah, the idea is that, you know, eventually you start bringing in enough tech that uh, elements of the city start getting better. So that starts to change the the mission structures or the types of missions or the, the factions in the city in terms of what they can provide for assets and support for the Sparks. Um, but then it also might eventually change what uh, the Sparks have access to in terms of their powers entirely. Like, I, I there's a part of me that... Um, it's it's not in the it's not in the book yet. It's one of these ideas that's scratching at the back of my mind. Is that I want there to be a like a lunar spark. All of these sparks are fueled by the sun, all the the sun shards and everything. But I want there to be a moon spark, essentially, and it would be very different and strange and sort of alien compared to the others. And I think like gaining access to that would be a cool thing eventually. I mean, that also opens up opportunities for. I mean, you could have a whole campaign based around just trying to build the moon spark, um, but you could also open up doors to what are, are the other planets also mm -hmm. capable of making sparks? Like, there's an interesting, like, space for expansion. Um, yeah, fuck yeah. Cool. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the uh, Kickstarter. So, obviously, you're going to Kickstarter soon. I've seen that you've gotten your page approved. I did, yes. Um, what are, what are some of your like goals for the Kickstarter campaign? So what are some of that you're planning to do to like, uh, hype the, uh, campaign and maybe, uh, hint at some of your stretch goals maybe? Yeah. So I've got, um, we've, I've got lined up, uh, an actual, a couple of actual plays that I want to do. So actually as a recording of this podcast of this day, uh, this upcoming Saturday, which is the, oh boy, I don't even know what day that is. But anyway, I'm going to be uh, playing uh, Nova on Plus One EXP's stream. So I've got some actual plays that I've got scheduled up. Um, so that'll I've be got... Saturday the 22nd, which will have been probably two days before this episode is released. <laughs> it will it have already passed by then? I think so. Um, uh, yeah, potentially. But that... You know, still, there might be VODs. 
<laughs> oh no! I, you, I, I my internet dipped for a second. I'm back now. Oh good. Uh yeah. So there might be. I think that that will actually be. Uh, bef- yeah. I think this episode won't come out till after that uh, stream. But still. You can go find the VOD anywhere. There, there will be a couple of other streams that I've got uh, lined up. Eddie York is doing the art for this, and I've been sort of teasing some of Eddie's art on Twitter. And I think once folks get it, once the page goes live, you're going to see some of the the art that he has been working on. I think that alone is going to drive a lot of people, uh, just because he's he's done a truly spectacular job. Um, in terms of goals, primarily the goals are to pay Eddie for art and to pay Jam uh, to do the uh, the layout. Uh, Jam is a phenomenal artist and uh, graphic designer. Does layout. Uh, she's she's amazing, and so. Um, she was all lined up to do the uh, layout for my previous project, Frame, which all uh, exploded in in a supernova. Uh, mm. And so, <laughs> uh, I, I'm happy that Jam is able to kind of be on board for for this game instead. Uh, and then some of the stretch goals that I have in mind. One of them is I want to add two more sparks to the game that are sort of the what I'm calling right now the forbidden science. Sparks, because these all of these exosuits are, you know, they're technologically driven. They are developed because of this energy access we have from the sun. Um, but these are some some maybe uh, some weird science. So I want to make a sort of necromancer themed spark. Gotta and have a necromancer themed spark. You gotta right, and then um, a sort of plague pestilence. Uh, spark as well. So some sort of plague spark, some sort of necromancer spark. I want them to be sort of the the forbidden science uh, stretch goal. So that's more art from Eddie and then uh, designing those uh, as well as one of the, the stretch goals I have in mind. By all means, you do not have to do this, but uh, just thinking about it now, I'm like, oh, what if the necromancer spark actually had to consume uh, like life force of its wearer in order to uh, power itself? It's not powered by the sun; it's powered by you. Yeah, exactly. Right? Like it's this like highly powerful exosuit, but it comes at a huge cost to the person who's piloting it. I think that's super awesome. I love stuff like that. Um, yeah, yeah, it's pretty sick. There's a there's a game that I'm working on that's kind of like a combatty um, sorcerer's game, uh, and one of the roles you can play is volatile, which is where you can releasing your magic is like destructive. Uh, you're like a living <laughs> bomb, and so you can try and release small parts of it which is very difficult to do, or you can just release all of it at once. And so they have the largest <laughs> magic pool like uh, of any of the characters, but they have the least access to it um, because it's, uh, it's a release it all or not thing. <laughs> that sounds uh, awesome. Uh, yeah, cool. Cool. It sounds like it's going to be a really amazing uh, campaign. You mentioned um, that you had somebody working on Sparks. In designing the Sparks and, you know, the art for the game, what comes first? The idea for a Spark or some, or your artist drawing something? So it used to be idea for Spark, then artist. Uh, and then I pitched Eddie some of the initial ideas for Sparks. And Eddie came back with 
um, way more concept art than I could have imagined. Uh, he drew up 12 really incredible looking sort of silhouette drawings of Sparks. And that sort of reframed the design process where I, I instead went, okay, actually I want this, you know, this piece of art, this piece of art, this piece of art, I'm going to design around these premises instead. So it, it's kind of gone back and forth in terms of the direction of it. Um, and I think that's cool that uh, when I, when I'm talking with Eddie with art brief stuff that he brings ideas to these sparks that I didn't think about. And then I bring ideas to the the drawings. And it's, so it's this very cool back and forth, um, which I, I think makes them feels, neat. Sounds sounds like that makes it feel way more like collaboration and less like this is a person I am tasking with drawing art. Oh, 100%. And, you know, when he's sending me updates, he's excited to talk about it because it's something that we've sort of collaboratively built together, which is, you know, it then makes it way more fun for him and me to to be working on it. So I, I'm I'm kind of in love with this new way of doing it rather than me just sending an art brief and expecting him to sort of follow it. Yeah, definitely. It sounds amazing. Um <laughs> I am interested in what the... So I kind of want to talk about uh, Lumen a little bit, which obviously Lumen has come from light and has allowed you to develop Nova. But what have you... Let me step back. We've seen a lot of people start making Lumen games, Mm. um, and I would love to hear your thoughts on that. Uh, and hear from you about what that is and why you think maybe Lumen is so attractive to Uh It's the coolest feeling in the world. <laughs> first things first is it's the coolest thing in the world to see uh, lots of people interested in working in the system. A lot of people that are just designers that I immensely respect are working on Lumen games. So like when Adira Slattery said she was making a Borderlands-inspired Lumen game. I was just blown away because I just think Adira is an amazing designer. Um, so just seeing the Lumen games is is very, very cool in the first place. But my favorite thing so far is that every single person, they sort of read the SRD, they get a sense of what it's about, and then immediately inject these really cool changes that sort of challenge some of the assumptions of the Lumen SRD while also... Um, kind of sticking to the mission statement of other parts. And that's that's awesome. I am seeing just this really cool creative space where people are thinking about this system in ways that I never could on my own in isolation. So uh, that's been really, really neat to see. And in terms of like, why are people making things with it or, or, or anything like that? I think part of it is because, and a few people in uh, my Discord have mentioned this, is that it's um, it's uh, it's relatively easy to make a Lumen game uh, in in many ways, uh, especially when it comes to coming up with powers or abilities for the classes, because you don't really need to worry about balance. I'm one of those people that just largely hand waves the concept of balance, yeah. um, and in, instead just write down the thing that sounds cool, and that's the power. Like you don't need to really explain too much. You don't need to worry about balance. In fact, you shouldn't worry about balance because Lumen games inherently, at least. By the way that I write them, they're power fantasies. So you should feel extremely powerful rather than feel like a, a, a balanced fight. And I think people just are really digging the idea of just making big, powerful, badass characters in games that support that sort of thing. Yeah, I am. I'm generally 
very broadly of the opinion that balance is uh, pretty much impossible mm. uh, and that if you're worried about, you know, one class being more powerful than the other or one type of thing, being, you know, outshining the other, that it's like, well, then maybe you need to make one the one that's being outshined more fucking interesting right exactly. <laughs> like if it, if it can be outshined why is it in there <laughs> yeah a hundred percent yeah it's one of those things that um you know frustratingly i see in video games which is you know obviously the inspiration for lumen games is exactly what you're describing where um rather than lifting up or boosting the the aspects or classes or builds or whatever that are like deemed weaker or inferior in games, they tend to nerf things instead and bring down the power of other things. And that's not fun for me. It's just like, keep boosting things up until everything feels cool. Uh, and that's sort of the, 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 the mindset behind a Lumen game. Yeah. It's like, Oh, why is this? Oh, this person's powers like really OP. It's like, well, let's fucking make everyone else's power OP. Oh, this character <laughs> exactly. can launch like 10,000 missiles and it only takes them like 10 minutes to build up the charge to do that and fights go for an hour. Like, this is ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> it takes me an hour to build up enough charge to do my I stab them real big. It's like, okay, maybe we need to make more interesting powers then. Right, exactly. Uh, yeah, that's definitely something that I thought of when making my, um, when working on some of my games and working on, uh, like, I mean, for to a lesser degree, working on Last Nights on Earth, uh, like, in that game, there's a specific line of the mechanics that's like, when you're making a character, don't worry about balance or utilitarianity, <laughs> uh, being utilitarian or anything like that. Worry about being fucking cool, uh, because that's the voice of that whole game. It's like, be fucking sick. I you're, love that. You're a knight in the apocalypse. Who cares? <laughs> I love that. I love games and like and designers who lean into that and they put it in the voice of the game. Like that that's just awesome. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Definitely. Oh man. I love it. Um, cool. Um, so I would love to hear what are what's some of your favorite uh Lumen games at the moment? Oh boy. Um let's see. So the one that immediately jumps out to me is In Extremis um by Keegan EXE. Um the this is this one has a special place in my heart for a couple of reasons. First is it was the first full Lumen game that was released that I didn't make. So uh, that was just really neat to see. Um, the second is that Keegan's game in Extremis is uh, inspired by the Lock Tomb trilogy. So Gideon the Ninth um, oh, yeah. and, and, and Harrow the Ninth, which Keegan and a number of other people uh, convinced me to read and I loved. So uh, it, you know, the whole premise is that you're space necromancers and you know, I want to put a necromancer spark in my game now because I think that whole premise of sci-fi and necromancy is super, super interesting. So that one just gets a huge shout out because I love the theme and it was one of the first ones to come out, which is really cool. Yeah, fuck yeah. Uh, the other one, so I mentioned Adira Slattery's uh, uh, Borderlands game, which is called Gunfucks, uh, which is very on brand for Adira, uh, is is very cool. What I think I love about that game so much is that when I was talking with Adira about it, she, I think, said that she had only played Borderlands for 
an hour but had like sort of watched other people and yet only with just that one hour of play she managed to perfectly capture the vibe and feel of a borderlands game with her game um, which i think is really really special and cool yeah and the I'll, I'll i'll do one more um the other one that i've really enjoyed uh seeing developed is hell war 1991 which is uh, a game that adam vass is working on um because adam and i did sort of these collaborative streams where we would build it together and basically uh from the first five minutes of us doing it adam sort of systematically uh broke a lot of the assumptions and premises of lumen but still made a game that feels very much like a lumen game and so i think uh, you know, I've always just really respected Adam as a designer. I think uh, I think they're fantastic. So uh, that one gets a shout out as well. Yeah, wow, amazing. You mentioned your streams just then, and it reminded me that there was a question I uh, uh, wanted to ask you. Uh, in your tweets about uh, Lumen, and in particular about uh, Nova, you have occasionally mentioned the danger room or, uh, and I only know of the danger room from, uh, my childhood in the nineties watching X-Men on TV. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm curious to know what the fuck you're talking about. <laughs> it's, it is exactly that it's from the X-Men. So, you know, in the X-Men, uh, the danger room is that sort of place where they train, like they learn how to fight in different scenarios and everything like that. So the danger room is just, uh, a, a phrase that I use when I'm running uh, specifically combat simulations in my games to see how combat feels with various changes. So um, a danger room session is one where we play Nova without doing any of the role playing. So who you are, there's no like, does it matter? There's no real talking. It's just purely do these sparks feel fun in these combat situations. What feels good? What doesn't feel good? What's getting away of fun? Um, just so that I know how to tweak that side of it. Because like we said earlier, Nova's a pretty combat-focused game. It's supposed to be fast, like very fast, rapid, much more like uh, rules-light combat, but I want it to be fun. So that's what the Danger Room is. It's 100% inspired by the X-Men. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Uh, fuck, i got to do that for Live, Love, Die. Who really got to test the, <laughs> the modules stuff? Really got to find out. Oh man, I have this problem right, you know, with okay. uh, live with live love die where I've written all these cool mech modules for it that do have all these cool interesting abilities and they're not very mechanical for the most part. They're just like your mech can shoot a flying fist off of it and it does flying fist things, um, <laughs> or your mech can fly, or your mech can fly better than other mechs that can fly, um, <laughs> uh, and stuff like that. Uh, but the problem is, is that I've written all these really cool ones and literally the only module I care about is the one that makes your mech a psychic berserker who can <laughs> read the emotions of everyone on the battlefield. It is the only module I care about. When I think about, oh, what would my mech look like? I'm like, um, quantum empathy gear. And uh, maybe a shield. Uh, quantum <laughs> empathy gear. Why, why, why would I want anything else? I just want to, I just want to feel emotions on the battlefield. I want to <laughs> know my enemy's true position, whatever that means. <laughs> That's awesome. I love uh, that. But yeah, I gotta, I gotta test everything. 
Um, <laughs> is there something like that for you in Nova? Is there something where it's like, this is the only thing I care about, or this is the thing that I love the most and I, I can't take my mind off of it? Is there anything like that for you, or even in any of your games? Um, so for me, with with Nova, the thing that I... The thing that I is like, I think it's just most on my mind, which I think is very cool that I just want to continuously tinker with until it's just right, is that it's a combat game, but there are no weapons in it. Uh, and in fact, the concept of combat, like there's dice rolling in everything really other than combat, which I think is super cool. And I really think that's neat. But there was this there was this thing where I just I just believed that that would work until I was like, you know what? I should probably danger room this just to make sure this concept of no weapons is actually a good one and not just something that lives as a beautiful fantasy in my head. Uh, turns out it is actually a really good one. We did danger room it, but that's one of those things that um, I'm sort of obsessed with this idea of combat feeling extremely different than the rest of the game. Um, and I think that sort of stems from some of my other things, like in Slayers, uh, all of the players engage with combat in an entirely different way. Like each person sort of has their own mini game in combat because Ooh. I leaned into asymmetry for the classes. So my my I think my big focus is just in make, making combat interesting because I don't like combat that feels like D&D, for example. Yeah, I know that's something that always bothered me about the way that magic works in mm. uh, Dungeons and & Dragons and Pathfinder and most D&D derivatives, like direct derivatives, games that you could call D&Ds, um, <laughs> is that the magic is often described as being within the, f- within, within the fiction, but within the, like, concept text for a magic user it's described as being different and then in play it doesn't really feel different like playing a cleric or a druid or a sorcerer or a wizard they all or a bard even all kind of feel the same just that your magic has different key phrases mm-hmm. attached to it but like mechanically it doesn't feel very different and i know that when i try to design magic systems i try to make it feel like you're doing different things like pretty dramatically different things 100 percent. although now i'm thinking about that and i'm like oh you all the mechanics are the same in in highways of blood your battle mages mechanics are different it's just that (laughs) their abilities are all very different hopefully Mm. that's enough (laughs) we shall see (laughs) but that's years away uh i gotta finish live love die first um yeah wow Oh, exciting. I'm very excited with by the concept of danger rooms now. Mm-hmm. I can see how that would be really useful, like, especially for combat games and stuff. Yeah, there's uh, a few folks in my Discord who are all like, okay, I think actually I need to go to the danger room too now. So uh, yeah. I'm glad that it is a thing that is catching on. I assume when you do that, you're like getting people in to help you and stuff. You're not just <laughs> fighting yourself. <laughs> yes. I, I, I have some very kind friends who will... Uh, <laughs> We'll play like an hour of combat with me just to see if it feels good. Yeah, nice. That's pretty good. I'm I'm here for that. Um, fantastic. It's fantastic. Uh, wow, amazing. So, where can people find out more about your work on uh, or not online? I don't know. Where can people find out more about your work? 
<laughs> my work is the best place to, to find my stuff is on Twitter. That's where I'm pretty much constantly shouting about my work. Uh, I do have an itch page, which has all of my uh, digital releases and PDFs and things like that. I have a website as well, which is where you can get like the printed copies of my things. Uh, and across all of those, you'll find the links to my various other things like my Twitch page and obviously the Nova Kickstarter. But I think the Twitter is probably the best place to find out more about what I'm working on. And you'll also find out more about the Nova Kickstarter there. So, you know, it works out. Exactly. Uh, fantastic. It has been a pleasure to have you on the show. And obviously, we're going to have links to uh, all of the stuff that uh, down below. It's not in the cost, in the description text for <laughs> the episode uh, on SoundCloud and uh, the Insert Quest here uh, website or wherever uh, you can find our podcast because you can actually find it on more websites than I have submitted it to. So that's interesting. Wow. Um, all right. <laughs> Uh, it has been a pleasure if you enjoyed listening to this interview we have others uh, with other game designers and game makers uh, and industry uh, professionals uh, and we do occasionally do actual plays um, and you can support us on Patreon or Ko-Fi Coffee? I can never work out how to pronounce K-O. And I have uh, no idea <laughs> Anyway uh, Thank you for listening Farewell from the past I'm Ray <laughs>